Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks Resource website, blog, and radio. My passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's and memory loss, and that came to me through my mother's 30-year journey with memory loss. She's now in her end stages of the disease, living in a nursing home where she will have been there this coming February 11 years. For those of you that are new to our show, I want to give you just a brief introduction to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Our goal here is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We also want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's disease. Our channel expert living with the disease, Rick Phelps, I'm never sure if he's going to be able to make it or not, so if he's here, I'm sure he will let his presence be known, and we will pull him into the show. Rick is the founder of Memory People on Facebook, and if you're not familiar with that, I urge you to go to Facebook and just put in the search bar, Memory People, and ask to become a member. It's an absolutely fabulous resource for people where you can get some true time support with peers. On our homepage, you'll also find links to contact us, so feel free to do that if you have any questions or comments or show ideas, or if you yourself would like to be part of the show, we'd love to hear from you. In addition, while we're doing the show, you can listen in via your computer and use the chat room if you have any questions or comments, or you can always call into the number live, which is 714-364-364. 4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And if you have a question or a comment, all you have to do is push 1, and that will get you into my queue. Um, today, I'm very excited to have Dawn here. And Dawn um, is part of the George G. Uh, Glenner Alzheimer's Family Centers. Uh, Dawn DeStefani is a Director of Programs and Services, and she works in the Chula Vista Center in California. She has worked in healthcare and human service uh, for over 15 years with the youth, mentally ill, and also the elderly. She graduated from San Diego State University, where she obtained her Bachelor of Arts in Social Work. Uh, she has since worked in adult day health care focusing her expertise on serving Alzheimer's patients and their families. Uh, Dawn is bilingual, multilingual, I should say, and those abilities really enable her to connect with uh, families from various cultures, which I think is so important these days and is something that we really don't talk about much, um, but we really need to get everybody on plate with with memory loss. She currently facilitates a weekly support group at Chula Vista where family caregivers prepare themselves for the ongoing challenges of caring for a loved one with dementia. In addition, Dawn is an active educator on various topics regarding to aging and Alzheimer's disease. She currently lives in San Diego with her husband, Joseph, and their three-year-old son, Andrew, and their one-year-old daughter, Lily. I love that name, Lily. Um, So welcome to the show, Dawn. How are you doing today? Hi, good morning or good afternoon, and I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. 
Well, I am just thrilled to have you here. I I think, you know, what uh, the George G. Glenner um, Foundation does is just absolutely fabulous. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the George G. Glenner Alzheimer's Family Centers and really what they're about? And then from there we'll kind of get into your personal story and then we'll pop back into the role of um, the difference that they're making. Sure, absolutely. Our organization has been around for uh, 30 years, which is what we're celebrating in this coming year, and uh, we provide services through our adult day health care programs. We also have adult day programs, which is the focus that we're heading towards next. Our adult day programs are able to provide support and structure and stimulation and purpose for folks with memory impairments. They come in and they feel like they're coming to take a class or they're going to work or to volunteer. We offer pet therapy, intergenerational therapy. So there's a whole variety of things for them to do while they're at the programs. And besides, there is a healthcare model. They are receiving monitoring, medications, structured meals, um, and exercise. In addition to to that, there's a dual purpose that we are able to provide all of that support and education and training to the caregivers and really give them a break as well. Many of them are working. uh, Many of them just need to take a nap. And uh, through those the, the three centers that we have in San Diego County were really able to serve so many of our families. Uh, we also provide support group um, every week, and uh, we have any, anyone from an adult child to uh, spouses that are caring for their loved ones that really just need a place to come to and to discuss their concerns, similar to this forum here. Um, our organization also has a volunteer program, uh, that connects lonely caregiver or lonely um, residents into a facility with volunteers uh, to come in and spend time with them, socialize with them, and um, really, it's a a dual purpose there as well because both parties are really benefiting so much from that. Um, but our organization uh, really is going through some challenges in this year because of the state of California's budget, and uh, we might be able to touch on that a little bit today. But uh, we're really looking forward to taking our organization into a different way uh, in these next few uh, months and, and through these next few years and really focusing on uh, folks with early-stage memory loss as well, looking at how we can serve this group with mild cognitive impairment, Um, and also looking at ways that we can help folks that maybe are just concerned about memory loss and um, come up with some programs also just for brain health and brain fitness. Wonderful. Now, is is George G., I mean, did he have the disease himself? Or, um, you know, what's the story behind the name there? Do you have any history you can share with us there? Absolutely. Dr. George G. Glenner um, was a very famous research doctor, and uh, he worked mostly in the East Coast. And if I remember correctly, he was invited by the um, National Institute of of, uh, Health to come on a sabbatical at University of California, San Diego. And while he was here, he was working on uh, the research for the pathology of Alzheimer's disease. And um, luckily, while he was here, he was able to discover um, one of the the hallmarks of the gene. And that was in the early 80s. While he and his wife, Mrs. Joy Glenner, were here, they 
spent hours and hours working with these families that were so fatigued and so stressed. And at that time in the 80s, there was there was no support outside of the medical field. And um, Mrs. Glenner became a, an, an advocate for them, realizing that they needed programs, that they needed support groups, that uh, there needed to be more funding um, for social service programs. So together, they started a support group. And I believe, if, if the story is correct, the first night there were something like 200 people, and they oh didn't expect to have such a huge turnout, and, and it showed the need. Um, and then they first they developed the first um, daycare that we have, which was very unique at the time, um, with memory-specific uh, issues. So there were lots of other senior programs available, but this was just specifically for those dealing with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. And um, it's a much smaller program. We have a very high staff-to-participant ratio. All of our staff are very uh, skilled and trained in this type of care. The activities are very specific. Um, we provide very secure um, uh, uh, facilities for them, so there's no wandering concerns. So it was a very innovative thing in the 80s um, that, that no one else was doing. And so also Dr. George G. Glenner was able to um, meet with the president, who was Ronald Reagan at the time, uh, how ironic that is, and um, they were able to declare November National Alzheimer's Awareness Month and Caregiver Month, and then they were also able to increase funding um, at that time. So it was a lot of very exciting things. Um, he, Dr. Glenner did not have Alzheimer's disease, but unfortunately he did pass away um, in 19... I don't have that year correct, but um, it was several years after he was first able to establish um, much of the, the support and services in San Diego. And Mrs. Glenner um, is still involved in our organization. She has since retired, but she's still very much involved and, and put in an, an incredible 25 years before she retired. Wow, that that is just such a phenomenal story. I just love hearing that, where people just see the need and get out there and go, you know what, let's do it. And to have 200 people show up, uh, you know, that is just so fantastic. So I, I applaud, I applaud uh, both uh, Dr. Glenner and his his wife and family and uh, all your staff for what it is you're doing. Um, can you give us a little bit of background, um, you know, with yourself as far as, you know, how how did you get involved with Alzheimer's disease? Were you personally touched by it at all? or? Well, absolutely. And um, the ironic part of it is, is while I was finishing um, my internship at San Diego State um, in the late 90s, um, the director there asked each student to choose which field they, they, they would choose to go into once they graduated, and I chose to work with youth. I said, because I, I really don't want to work with the elderly and specifically with Alzheimer's disease because personally in my own home, my grandmother, who lived with us since I was a child, had developed Alzheimer's. And from okay. the time I was 14 until the time I was 24 when she passed away, we were knee-deep in Alzheimer's caregiving. And I saw the direct impact that it had on my mom and the stress that it created on our entire family and how difficult that was. And I figured, I deal with that every day. I don't want to professionally also deal with that. And ironically enough, San Diego State was, was very bright in, in their um, strategy because the area that you chose to not uh, want to be in is the area that they actually assigned you in. 
So I was given an internship working specifically in this um, environment, and uh, from then I realized it's my calling, and it's it was so helpful for me to be able to, at that age, help my family just in the short time that I was put into that initial internship just to see how differently um, things could be if I if we had the right resources and we had the right tools and the right support. And it really did make things so much better for us in those last few years of her life. Wow. isn't that, that That's astonishing that they say, what do you want? And then it's like, okay, we're just like over here. <laughs> Right, right. And um, I was shocked, it, but I'm I'm so glad that it worked out that way because I, I wouldn't want to be in any other field. This is where my heart and my passion is, and obviously 15 years later, here I am. So, Well, and it just proves the point that, you know, our first impressions of what we think we want are, aren't always correct. And sometimes right. we need that push in that direction going, you know what, just take a little closer look here. And then if you still want to go that direction, okay, fine. You'll know for sure. But just check it out and, and see. And, and I think that that's, you know, in a way a very smart move because there's so many blinders on when it comes to dementia. You know, there's right. the denial and people not wanting to deal with it. And, you know, if they're forced to be part of it um, as, a, as, you know, growing in knowledge, um, I think it's amazing the advocacy that can come out of that situation, and again, that you have to be really careful in terms of how that's structured and and so forth. But um, well, incredible, incredible story. I'm so I'm glad that they made that decision and that you're on right. our team today. <laughs> that's fantastic. Now, um, getting back to the George G. G. Glenner Centers, um, you had talked about you know the adult daycare where they do you know, provide a lot of structure and stuff. Can you give us a little bit more detail of, you know, kind of what an average day would be like for somebody? Or maybe there's various ones depending on the needs that people have. Right. And so our typical program is structured Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Some of our participants come every day uh, because of the need or because they enjoy it so much, and some are there the entire day. There are others that are on a modified schedule based on their endurance or um, just their ability. Uh, But normally, the folks come into the program in the morning, and we provide them with a nutritious breakfast. We're able to start the morning with reminiscence. We talk about the positive things that are happening in the news. We really engage them into um, the day, the time, the place, all of those things that are disorienting to them on a regular basis. And we set up the day based on a theme. So, for example, um, it could be Apple Day. And so we'll talk about anything that could relate to apples in the news. And then perhaps it'll move into a trivia that will be about George Washington. And then we'll talk about the different types of apples that they can have. So while they're having coffee and breakfast, there is this um, unintentional in their mind, um, but in our mind, very structured um, opportunity for us to engage them and to kick off their day with that theme. Throughout the day, we will have exercise, very structured group exercises. We even have chair yoga at times. Um, And we also go for walks. The walks are so important. It allows them to get the fresh air, to be one with nature again, but also they're supervised and they're safe and there's um, no risk for them um, being in in danger of cars or traffic lights. And um, many of them are just so 
stuck in their homes, that this is really an important part of the day. Uh, we come back to the center from the walks, and we also will do more exercise that they may not realize is exercise, but of course in our mind we make sure that it's volleyball or bowling, and it's all modified, but still they're up and they're active, and um, they're using their upper and their lower extremities, and they're, they're really um, engaging, getting their heart going. Then we have a nutritious lunch as well. During lunch, we have music. Um, volunteers come in and play um, the piano for us. So it's more of a social hour as well um, that um, many of the families will say, well, I just can't get my husband to eat anything at all anymore. Um, but yet, when they're in a group setting like that and it's relaxing, they're able to eat their meal, and they may not even realize that they've had their entire meal because of, of the different techniques that we're able to use. Um, after lunch, it's really important that we continue with that socialization and that structure because they really just want to take a nap. And that's very common if they're at home all day. They really don't want to engage in a lot of activity and they just like to lay in bed. And it's very important that we get them up and going again and we do a whole variety of things from cooking class to gardening to um, art classes. And this is especially an important time when we have our music program. And, and it's amazing. You can see them out doing the, the limbo and um, all different types of dances. And yet, again, we'll have families that say, well, I have never, ever seen my uncle dance. He won't dance at all. And my mother, she really is a wallflower. She prefers not to dance. And they'll come to pick them up at the end of the day, and they'll see that they were the number one person out there cutting a rug and really just enjoying themselves. And it's interesting to see their personality come out or even a different personality of the family families may not have been aware of. So Very continue fun. on through the day. Yeah, with just a variety of activities, it's, it's really a great thing for them. Now, um, you had mentioned the chair yoga, and I think that that's something that so many people don't understand how simple that can be, but how effective right. it is. And um, can you describe that a little bit about what happens with chair yoga Yes, we have a certified yoga instructor, and she specializes in this type of yoga for seniors. Um, and it mostly focuses on relaxation and breathing techniques. And it really is amazing because you would think that if you looked into a room of 20 people with Alzheimer's disease and dementia, that you wouldn't see what you're going to see. You would think that maybe they're going to be up and confused and agitated and looking around, but instead they're all together, they're all united, they're following directions, they are focused, they're meditating. Um, she actually has them um, follow specific relaxation exercises, breathing exercises, and even the most severely confused person is able to follow along because of just the way that the body is able to respond to her directions. Um, so it's really amazing. We have the lights dim. She uses aromatherapy at the end, and that's how she kind of awakens them back up from the, the yoga. Um, so it's, it's once a week that we're able to do that, and it's really just such a, a unique thing for them. But um, we've also had our yoga instructor come to our caregiver support group um, because caregivers as well, they suffer from so much stress, and it's so nice for them to just to be taught a few simple relaxation and breathing techniques that they can do for five minutes when they say, I just don't have the time to de-stress. So a simple five-minute de-stress is possible. Yeah, when I was in the crux of caregiving, um, in my office I would have a candle and meditation um, tapes, and I would just 
shut my door, and sometimes I'd put a note on the outside, do not disturb, and people thought I was making calls, you know, <laughs> and it was like, I just need to decompress, and I yes. would take, you know, 10 or 20 minutes, and it was amazing, and I think the thing that people forget about meditation in yoga is that when you're doing that, the the you know, the voice that's delivering the message is so calm, the distractions and all the stimulus have gone away, you know, and we take all of that stuff for granted, you know, the the you know, people buzzing by and the T V on and conversations and it's just it's quiet and it's still and with any of us it's easier to process when you take all that stimulus away. And then when the message is delivered in simple, slow language, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's incredible. And and people forget about all of, you know, the environmental stimulus, and we we take for granted our tone and our delivery system. And the intent with meditation and yoga is so purposeful. And like you said, it's just, you know, breathe deep. It, it's, I mean, it's a simple direction. <laughs> You know, right. to be able right. to follow. It's not us giving a three or four step um, direction and then wondering why they can't figure it out. You know, it's broken right. down one piece at a time. So exactly. I think that that is really neat. Also, you had mentioned walks outside. Now, when they when they go outside, do you have uh, you know is there is it a sidewalk or is it kind of a park setting or do you actually go someplace for the walks? Uh, right at our center, we're so fortunate that we have a pond, and the pond has turtles and koi fish and ducks. And so oh, those uh, that are able to go on the long walk, and it really isn't that long, but still we do have a different functional um, limitations depending on the participant. But those that are able to go on the long walk, it is a guided path, and it's uh, clear of, of traffic. There's no cars. There's no traffic lights, like I mentioned. So the danger part is really out. There are a few curbs, but that's actually good for those that are able to do that is to still um, be able to exercise on the uneven surface but within safe limitations. But the focus is that they're able to walk to the ducks, they're able to feed them, to look at the turtles and the koi pond, and there's a fountain. And um, there are actually a few participants that ask to go on a walk several times a day, although we always uh, do at least two per day. And yeah. they, just, they love it, just being out in nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. My mom would have been one that would just be, can we just hang out here? Right. <laughs> you know, no, we no go for one for more walk. Else, you know, because right. she used to love to feed the ducks and, and just listen to the nature and be out in the sun right. and the weather. And it just makes you feel connected and, and purposeful yeah. again. So very neat. You had so also mentioned um, pet therapy. Um, what type yeah. of pet therapy do you guys do? Well, we're so fortunate being in San Diego that we are connected to the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Wild Animal Park. And in addition to those, we also have a relationship with the San Diego Humane Society. And I'm sure in in each different city they have uh, different partnerships that they can uh, connect with. But here we have those three entities that are able to come, and they bring very unique animals with them. So, for example, the Wild Animal Park, they'll bring um, – I don't even know the names of half of the animals that they bring, actually. But (laughs) porcupines or anteaters or some of the ones that we've seen before. But often they bring very standard animals, too, like rabbits and dogs and birds. Um, And they do a presentation with with them as well. We we often um, have uh, pet therapy dogs that are brought, service dogs um, Mm -hmm. that are brought by different organizations as well. 
And so that's so calming for the participants. Um, but they, we've even had a hummingbird rescue group come. And uh, the, oh, cool. the organizer discussed how she would rescue these hummingbirds and she would show them at various stages and um, eventually allow some of the hummingbirds to fly around the building. And it was it was really amazing. But it's just very important because, again, many of our participants, they're they're stuck at home often. There isn't a lot of opportunity for them to go out on outings. Uh, there aren't a lot of opportunities for them to, to be with nature. And so for us to bring these programs to them at the day program is, is so important. Well, I love how you're connecting into the community. Um, I, I think that that's incredible. Last week we had a show called Soul Purpose where Michelle Mason from uh, Illinois works at um, Westchester, um, I want to say it's Healthcare and Rehab, has pulled in all these people to volunteer, and she has a makeup star, or a makeup artist with the stars, uh, you know, professional photographers, a, um, a renowned jazz player. I mean, it, the list just kind of goes on and on of people nice. willing to donate yep. their time and energy, and they, you know, have this um, spa day basically for both patients with dementia and and their caregivers both get to participate in it, and she said it's just amazing. So I think that there's so much out in the community, and sometimes we just, we forget. You know, we think that we're there all alone. So I really commend you guys for doing that. Now, you had also mentioned um, art. What Can you give us some examples, you know, for caregivers that are listening? um, You know, there's just such powerful stories of people who have never been artistic and you put a paintbrush in their hand or some clay, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, it's incredible! Right, what the creativity what just really can flow out. And again, again, it surprises families so often because they'll say, "Oh no, mom, she is not an arts and crafts person. She does not like arts and crafts. Don't give her arts and crafts." And then before you know it, she is one of our top artists. <laughs> And the family yep. is so surprised by that. And that's because their personalities can change or something can be brought out of them. Maybe now they have less inhibition, so they're not so concerned about what others may think. And so they they feel confident enough now to paint, whereas before maybe okay. they were more reserved. And um, we use a lot of watercolors because with that you can be very creative. And uh, it's interesting to see how they blend the colors. Um, we do have one art teacher who brings in um, – so they're kind of the the black and white drawings that she does, and she photocopies them, and then the par- the participants can paint them. And it's just very interesting to see the colors that they choose, the the sequence that they choose, and which to paint certain things first. Um, and then often we just give them a free flowing form uh, page of paper, and then they're able to just make swirls and rainbows and um, a whole different things, a whole different ar- array of things. But in addition to that, we um, can do even something as simple as coloring. Often that is difficult because we associate um, crayons or colored pencils maybe with more of a childlike activity. But for some of our participants, that is the level that they're in right now, and it sets them up for success. If we're able to give them something simple, they're able to complete the project and still have confidence. So we really have no problem using all different types of mediums because we just want the participant to be successful. Um, We have even had um, former professional artists that we've um, provided acrylic paint and canvas 
because again, it has to be appropriate for their level. We wouldn't want to give that person a crayon and then they not be satisfied with the choices that we've given them. So we do have to make sure that we've assessed that. Same things with the families at home. They'll have to assess. But also don't be afraid to to try something different. Well, and I think it's important, I mean, even when we're talking about, you know, the the medium of the art, it's how does it feel in their hand? You know, if you've got right. a small um, crayon versus maybe a wider one that's going to be a little bit easier for someone who has arthritis to hold, that's going to make a difference exactly. in terms of their participa- right. participation level. And, right. you know, I, I always tell people, you know, we, we as we grow up, we forget how to play. We start taking life so seriously. And when the filters are gone and their ego and judgment is no longer in play, um, I mean, they can get back to that childlike creative state that we kind of stomp out as adults, you know, which is exactly. quite sad. And I think it is right. so, to me, it's one of the things that this disease is here to teach us, not to let go of our creative abilities because we have so much power and impact in terms of what we can do to change this world if we get outside that box. But instead, so many of us kind of get squished in the box. Um, one example I use is if if somebody is, and I've done this myself, if you're sitting on the, on the floor with a grandchild and you're just playing intensely, or it might be your child or a friend's kid, it doesn't make any difference, and you're just you're playing intensely and you have that connection and you know you're just having a lot of fun and maybe you're doing something you were told not to because they didn't parent didn't want them to get dirty or whatever whatever the thing is and all of a sudden the parent walks into the room they don't have to say anything they could just stand in the door frame and the whole energy changes and you and the child right. instantly know you're being judged you're being right. looked at and everything changes in that moment, and we need to get into that solid connectiveness. And I think that's one of the things that you guys are, are doing, you know, so well and that, that everybody can do if we just become more conscious of how it is we are dealing with things and not putting people into the box of, well, you know, dad doesn't like music or mom never danced or, you know, whatever it is because this is an opportunity to explore and and find out new things because exactly. it may have been that they loved to do it, but they were too insecure to do it. Exactly. You know, maybe they had a, a bad, you know, a bad experience. Uh, I remember when I was, um, oh gosh, two or three, you know, and everybody signs their kids up for for dance lessons, and I remember being in my silk dress, white silk dress with big. Um, blue polka dots and this big old floppy hat on. We were tap dancing. And I'll never forget the impact that I had of the audience laughing. Because at two years old, I didn't feel that they were laughing with joy, that I know that's now what they were doing. You know, they really weren't laughing at us per se, but they thought it was cute even though we were screwing up. And so I hated to dance. You know, and I thought, when I have a kid, I'm never going to do that to my child. And I I resent um, the fact now that I chose not to put her in dance class because of that, because I I see it differently. But that, you know, that stayed with me. I mean, my God, I'm 52 years old. (laughs) Right, (laughs) and you're still there. (laughs) And and, and now now I'm finally dancing and having fun. I've gotten out of my box. But for, uh, you know, for 40 years, that had a huge, huge impact on me. You know, stupid, right. silly stuff 
that people don't have a clue um, that we are creating an impact, you know, on somebody else. And, and that and that happens with everybody. You know, our histories right. are different. So I love that you guys are testing that theory. And music is so absolutely powerful. And yeah. people are amazed because it's one of the last things to go in the brain, um, you know, that whole that whole piece. So someone who can't talk could maybe still sing a whole song or they still have the rhythm. Right, and, they, and you, even the most um, severe participants can still play the musical instruments. They can still shake their maraca and tap their feet, um, and it really is just beautiful to see. Even some of our participants, they'll tear up because it brings back such wonderful emotions. They're tears of joy. Um, so we just we love music. I mean, it's really incorporated every single day. Yeah, and I, and I think people at home have to realize the power of that too. And again, test it out. And again, it's got to be their music that they're going to connect to, maybe not ours. Um, right, but it right. it can really calm things down. I don't know if you've heard of the company um, Coral Health. It's C O R O, but I always like to give them a plug when I have the opportunity. Um, Dave Schufman has a daughter with uh, autism, and so he got really interested in kind of music therapy. And he now has this company where they they have what they call prescription music. And it can snap people out of moods. It can help them go to sleep. It can help them wake up. It can help them eat. And, you know, we forget about the simple pleasures because we are just used to getting in our car, turning on our music, or coming home and, you know, clicking something on. We just take it for granted. We don't really step back and go, wow, this is powerful stuff for us. This really can change our mood. And um, so... It's pretty fascinating to to be able to watch, and I'm always honored anytime I am in a room with um, people with dementia, and I just sit quietly and observe because it brings me so much joy seeing the simple pleasure, because it's just so raw, it's just so perfect. It is, yeah, right. Very, very, very neat. I know some people are worried about dance, like oh, somebody might fall and get hurt or. Um, do you guys worry about that at all? Or, Well, at our centers, we have a really low participant-to-staff ratio, as I mentioned, and so it's a five-to-one. Mm-hmm. So even okay. with our participants, we have so many hands-on staff that are available to dance with them or to dance next to them that we aren't so concerned. Um, there might be a few that are a, a very severe fall risk, and we just make sure that everything's modified and safe for them. So we dance with them, or we do chair dancing, um, or we give them an instrument and we have them be a part of the band, whatever it is. And we're really, really in tune with making the program specific for each person. I, I really like that. I know with my mom, you know, she got into the wheelchair, so then we dance with her in the wheelchair and just go and yeah, scoot exactly. around. She just loved it. <laughs> and then it got to the point where, you know, we just do the hand dance. You know, or maybe right. it's just a finger dance. It doesn't make any difference. It's still engaging um, right. on a one-on-one with somebody. And I, I think so many times we think as family caregivers that it has to be this big, elaborate whoop-de-doo, and it, it doesn't. Right. No, <laughs> it no, doesn't even the most simple, right. And and that's yeah. one of the things that we illustrate with our families all the time is that, you know, life isn't necessarily this ladder where we become more sophisticated with each rung that we've climbed. And I think that's sometimes what we feel like as adults, you know, as we were talking about earlier, as adults we, 
now are um, very sophisticated and we can't do these simple childlike things anymore. And um, with, with us illustrating to the families that life is more of a circle, and certainly at the start and at the the um, near the start, at, you know, towards the the close of the circle, we're doing a lot of the same things that we did at the start of the circle. So things are very simple, and it's okay. We don't have to make them huge productions and sophisticated things. Just even working with something like clay um, is is a very simple activity, but yet can bring so much joy. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fine. Definitely. Now, you had also mentioned you guys are big at supporting families, which I think is just critical. Um, Can you give us a little more detail of what you find people are needing out there um, and what you're doing about it? Or maybe there's a need that you guys haven't been able to tackle yet that you'd like some help with, um, given all the budget cuts and things, too. It might be an opportunity for some of our listeners to hear something and maybe get a hold of you after the fact or call in um, with a comment or idea. Right. Well, um, our centers, we make sure that we provide a lot of support and education. I think those are our two key components. I find that caregivers are really lacking those two things. And in support, what it means is, is they need friends in addition to professionals that can support them. They need a place that they can talk to, that they can just share any concerns that they have. So the support group is so important for that. Often um, they have no one to turn to that understands what they're going through. A lot of their friends have pulled away. A lot of other family members have pulled away. So even a place to even talk about the weather, to have a regular conversation about the traffic today, um, they're lacking that. Specifically, spouses, they're really having a difficult time with that. Um, They're used to coming home at the end of the day and telling their loved one about every little detail of the day, and now they have no one to tell. Um, So that support is very important. Also, that support is important to let them know that they need other people to help them, that they can't do it on their own. It's really difficult for any caregiver to completely do this on their own. I agree. I think it's a. Uh, um, I, I personally, I I don't like the name support group because I think most people have this stigma with it that right, they're not right. capable and they can't handle it. And right. it really, it's not about that. It's about no. you. You end up giving just as much as you get. You know, and right. a lot of times you get much more back. But it's it's about re-energizing. Right. Exactly. Removing the shame of feeling, you know, because society makes us feel we should be able to handle this. Right. And 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 as a society, I mean, that's not what society is about. A society is a whole engine that works together and functions together. But in aging and illness, for whatever reason, we seem to separate that and go, nope, that's a deal. You know, you just right. go on your little island yourself and um, go away. One of the things, I, I was in the shower this morning that I was thinking about, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to launch this idea. And it's, it's on my to-do list, but if anybody out there wants to take it and run, do it. But I thought, <laughs> what a cool concept to have almost like a Tupperware party type concept of somebody gets diagnosed and you invite your friends in to get educated. There's nothing to buy but it's right. all about let's get educated and how do we build support around this person. Yes. Right, and these are the simple things that you can do to help me. You can make a meal on Tuesday. You can put up my Christmas yep. life 
on Thursday. You can mow my lawn on Friday. Just even those simple things that people don't know how to ask for that additional help. Yeah, oh, that's a great idea, Lori. Just, <laughs> just call and say hi. Let me know right. I'm still important yes. in your life and I still have value. Um, and, right. and give me purpose. Still ask me to participate in things because there are some things I might not be able to do the way I used to, but I could still do some things. You know, yes. I remember when my, my dad didn't have Alzheimer's. Um, he had a brain tumor, but at the very end of his life, he ended up back in the nursing home. And I'll never forget what stood out so much to me was one day he said, um, I have to get down to lunch. And I'm like, well, really now? Hello, I'm here, your daughter. Hello, hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of doing one of, one of those things, like, aren't I important? But he was just adamant. And we had a great relationship, and I saw him, you know, every day. But he mm-hmm. was just like, I have a job. And his right. job was to go lay kind of the bibs out for people who needed them. And he was so proud of being able to do that because he, he couldn't do near what he used to be able to do right. um, because he was so much slower and he was frail and so forth. But he took so much pride in being able to help somebody else. And so an important job. Right. in our rush to get things done, we take away the pride. Right. And, and that's so critical. So there's a lot of things that people could do and like I said, this party concept could be kind of a fun thing to connect everybody together mm-hmm. to show support. And, you know, it doesn't have to cost money. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a task. Sometimes it's just taking the time to stop by and say hi. And just educating you know? your friends and family. And I think this could be very appealing because we see now that the statistics are showing that it's more adult children caregivers more mm-hmm. folks like you in, in your age group that you are in this sandwich. You're taking care of your parents and you're taking care of your children. And with that, you are probably more accustomed to these types of parties, you know, like you mentioned Tupperware. Yep. I'm sure we've all hosted three or four of these types of parties before. And if we want this to actually, not, yeah. yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so that could be an interesting segue for this, you know, new generation of, of folks that are really dealing with this. Yep. So, and uh, it, you know, and and as our our younger population, you know, we get, we're getting more and more people with with early onset. I mean, it doesn't even have to be in person. It could be kind of a webinar platform where people just right. hop on with their friends and chat. Mm-hmm. Because there are, I mean, I'm amazed at the people um, in early stages and the powerful, powerful changes that they're making, like like um, Rick Phelps with Memory People or Norms McNamara over in the UK who started um, the Dementia Awareness Day, you know, over in the UK, which is now kind of a national thing. It's kind of gotten wings and spread and um, Norms is just kind of going nuts with all the things he's doing or Dr. Richard Taylor in Texas and the powerful things that he is doing to raise awareness and and um further further the cause. I mean, it's incredible the um the creativity and the sincere belief that that they can make a change, the passion that's out there that we're not tapping into. And it's just silly. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're not tapping into it to the extent that we should. So sorry about getting off on the old tangent there. No, no, it's, it's it's exciting to think about all the different supportive services that can be available to families because I truly yep. believe that 
we need to tap into everything. And, and, you know, we had that happen in my family. Once we realized that there were all of these different things that can help us, it really made a difference. And so that's why I advocate that to families, is I need them to know about all of these resources and support and just to learn about the disease and how to communicate with them and all of those things. It just makes it so much better. Well, and, and a lot of times, too, it might be you're tapping into, you know, let's say my my mom's got the disease, which she does, and maybe I'm tapping into my, my not just my family, but my friends, and all of a sudden, well, my friend knows somebody who knows somebody. Right. And, right. you know, we, we it's kind of like that whole LinkedIn thing. I mean, you almost mm-hmm. have to look at right. how many people are you really attached to or the Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. you know, six, you know thing of <laughs> six, six degrees. Six, right. six degrees. Yeah. Right. Because we are connected so much more than what we think we are. And, and when right. we're in crisis, I mean, we just kind of go on that isolation island. You know, it's like, okay, here I am, Gilligan, and I'm just fumbling around, you know, trying to make do instead of really tapping into the collectiveness that's available to me because of a lot of times pride. Um, right. And, you know, that whole shame on you, you can't do it by yourself. And, and that's one thing the disease has really taught me. Um, and it took me a long time. I mean, I've been on this journey 30 years with my mom, you know. Um, but it's taught me a lot of lessons that, um, and the biggest one is you can't do it alone, Lori. You know, you've got to ask for help, and you have to stop trying to control it. Um, if we can teach families to stop trying to control it and just accept it and be with it, um, and then again, get creative to try to make change um, in our, you know, shifting our dementia care culture. Um, that's very different from just, you know, trying to control it and make it go away because it's it's not going away at this point, right? You know, at all. So, as far as volunteers, how do you how do you round up your volunteers? I think that's something that a lot of organizations struggle with. Um, some worry about the whole liability issue. Uh, and right. supervision and things. How do you how do you deal with volunteers and what types of roles do you typically have them in? Okay. Well, our state regulations require that we have um, a different degree of um, clearance. We can't have court-ordered volunteers. They have to be very specific. They need to go through a screening, um, if not a full fingerprinting, depending on the scope of their, their time with us. Um, they also have to go through a, a training, and they need to have a TB clearance. So our state is pretty um, clear on the requirements that we can't just accept um, any old volunteer. We need to make sure that they really have their heart into this and that they are uh, fit to be in the program with our participants. We are connected with the universities because of our professional staff. We're able to be an internship site. Mm -hmm. So we have um, registered nurses, social workers uh, that are in school preparing for graduation that are able to come to us, gerontology students as well. Um, so we're very fortunate that we have a great volunteer base through the the three main universities that we have in San Diego. Um, in addition to that, just because we've been established for so long, I think that um, many people are aware of our organization, and when they think about Alzheimer's and volunteering, that they often think about our center uh, locally. So we're able to really have a great base. We have former preschool teachers. Um, We have former musicians that have retired and they come in almost our entire music program, which includes several different live bands. Um, 
They're mm-hmm. volunteer. They come in and they, and they volunteer their time. And as a nonprofit, we absolutely count on the community. We count on these volunteers to help us. It's so important. Um, and uh, we're, we are facing very, very severe cuts. Uh, the state has eliminated one of our programs, which is our major funding source, effective November 30th. And um, because of that, many of our participants will no longer be able to come, and um, many of our programs will be at risk. Um, and it's, it's, it's very concerning. So we need more volunteers than ever, and we certainly need um, more community support than ever as well. Yeah, it is it is very spooky, spooky times out there in terms of how do you still provide the level of service, knowing that the numbers are increasing and the need is growing, you know, exponentially, and now you've got a lot less funding to do it. Right. Um, so we, ha- we, we have to be cl- collaborative, we have to get creative, and we have to, you know, we're, we're being forced um, to do things together, to do things jointly. And, and I think we'll be better off for it in the long run, um, even though it's very, you know, change is scary. Um, but I, I think I think, I think, think some good things will come of it because um, the ownership will be spread, um, the awareness will grow, um, no matter, you know, what happens with it. I mean, if we are able to work together or if we're not able to work together... <laughs> <laughs> the awareness right. is going to grow. It'll just be up to us if it's going to be a positive or a negative growth. And hopefully, it's it's a positive movement um, that we all yeah. work work together for the for the greater good. Because the odds of all of us getting this disease are pretty huge. You know, we're all yes. aging, and that's the number one cause. So until we figure right. out how to stop that one, which probably isn't going to be in any of our lifetimes, <laughs> you know. Um, we better start working together. And the likelihood of this hitting somebody, either a family member or a friend um, or a loved one of yours is, is, I mean, truly high, truly, truly right. high. Right. I believe the I... statistic right now is, is one in four um, mm-hmm. general citizens of America are affected by Alzheimer's disease. So yeah. whether it's a friend or a family member um, that has it or a direct person, one in four, that's, that's a huge percent. And, and the statistics also show that once you reach 85, that's a 50% chance. So yeah. as you're saying, I mean, these are very high probabilities. This is a very high probability that um, just the general population is going to be affected by this, not just those exactly. of us involved already. So we do have to come together, and when when um, our states aren't able to provide funding for these types of sources, then resources, then we need to all step up um, because we have to take care of each other. This is a community issue. If we have um, a huge amount, you know, potentially 15 million people affected with Alzheimer's disease in the year 2050. So if we have 15 million people walking around with Alzheimer's disease and no services to turn to, no supportive programs. Um, that's a community issue. That means that they're living in their homes on their own, that they're trying to prepare meals, that they're driving their cars, that they're walking across the street. It really is a safety issue for all of us. So more than ever, we all need to come together, yes, and prepare for that. Well, you know, and I I know that you go out and speak too. When I go out and speak to groups, a lot of times I will ask the question, um, who here has been affected by, you know, Alzheimer's disease? You know, right. do you, you know, if you have it or, you know, has a loved one of yours, you know, currently have it or did they have it, um, a friend or family or coworker? And when I go through just those questions, 
every single group, I think the the lowest percentage of a group I ever saw was like 90%. Right. And I'm not always speaking to, you know, people interested in this topic. And Mm -hmm. so the one in four to me almost seems... uh, Seems like no. a low statistic. Yes, um, I agree. From, from my from my little test market out there, because um, when people really think about it, it's amazing how it how it affects them. And you know, if, if a coworker of yours is dealing with this, you know, they're going to get sidetracked. Chances are, they're going to need support um, because it can be overwhelming. And I think companies need to look much deeper at how this truly is affecting their workforce and what they can do to help accommodate that as well. So, well, wonderful. Now, you had mentioned that you were looking at um, doing maybe a little bit more with early stage. Can you give us a, a peek in the window on what you guys are thinking about with that? Right. I wish I had more greater, you know, greater details, but um, we currently we're just really um, exploring these ideas, and we know that in the next year it would be great if we could develop uh, a program similar to our general day programs that specifically deal with the uh, mild cognitive impairment or the early onset. And this is um, just for for folks that might just be starting some of the the signs of of early memory loss. And they are still very aware and they they don't feel comfortable going to a day program where there's a variety of levels. And they really just want to focus on their brain health and and, um, stimulating their their memories. And um, it's really going to be focused more like a classroom where we actually are learning things. Um, And we are really testing the limits of their memory and their brains. Um, so we have a lot of great ideas in place, and um, we've looked at a, a few other models um, in Southern California to get an idea, and I, I think that's the direction that we're going to try to, to head into because 50, uh, 20, 30 years ago when we first were looking at this, um, we were really dealing with those participants at the very um, middle to end stage of their life because people in the earlier stages were in a lot of denial still. And there was still a lot of shame and um, guilt associated with it. So people weren't getting help until they were absolutely desperate and near the end. Um, and so now we're so much more aware of it, uh, and uh, it's in the media now. There isn't as as much of a um, scarlet letter, you know, if you will, associated with it once mm-hmm. you get the diagnosis. And so people are going to say, well, I've been diagnosed, I'm still very functional, and I need to be proactive. I'm going to take a class now on how to keep my memory as intact as possible. And that's where we really hope to fill that void here in San Diego. Okay. Well, that's, so, that's very I'm excited. Now, with this, you know, with this project, have you guys given thought to hooking up with a research center? Um, to kind of document uh, how people do with that Yeah, all? well, we we are affiliated with UCSD, and they have the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. That's our here, our local Southern California branch. So okay. uh, we certainly, they already have an early stage um, program, and uh, mm-hmm. we certainly will be consulting with them and, and discussing, you know, all of the different options. Um, we would absolutely want to have it to be research-based, um, mm-hmm. based on the principles of Dr. Glenner and just, just making sure that all of it is, is is correct and going in the right direction. Wonderful. So it's all still very new. It's more in the planning processes, but we're very hopeful. But, it, but it's, ex- 
exciting. It's very exciting yes. um, to to right. hear. I'm wondering if we have any listeners that have any questions or comments. I haven't seen anything pop up in the chat room or anyone pop up online, um, but I think you've been giving them lots of great information. So uh, sometimes people are comfortable jumping in and other times not. So um really doesn't make any difference, but I want to let people know that there's definitely an opportunity if they have uh, if they have questions or comments, we'd be glad to take them. Uh, Don and I will field whatever it is we can <laughs> to help you out. Um, one of the things I thought I might mention, too, at this time is on the 11th, November 11th, um, I'm going to be doing a program again with M- Michelle Mason. And that program is going to air, let's see, what time? It'll be 11 Eastern, 10 Central, and 8 a.m. Pacific. And what we decided to do, because we had so many people contact us after the Soul Purpose show, um, we are going to do kind of a brainstorming session. So trying to help people um, get into that collaborative um, spirit. So if they've got an idea, um, we want to just be able to kind of you know, nonchalantly bounce some ideas out there and get our listeners to participate and maybe get some of their ideas into practice because a lot of this stuff is can be easier to do than what we think. Um, you know, and a lot of times we let numbers and, you know, it's not my business, it's not my line of work get in our way because sometimes that's where the best ideas come from. And, you know, we've got to be open to looking at that. So if you've got an idea out there, um, please join us for that conversation. We would love to be able to hear from you. And um, and I'm sure that you guys at the George G. Glenner um, Center would love to hear from people who are interested in volunteering as well and um, seeing if they could support you um, in your mission, which is just, um, you know, you're doing some really cool stuff there. It's very exciting to hear about. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, now, are, are you guys a nonprofit then, so people could donate funds if they wanted to? Yes, we are a nonprofit, and um, through our website, um, there's a link that can directly take you to that. And also through our website, um, you can also find our links to our Twitter, our Facebook, our YouTube, our blog. Uh, you could sign up for our newsletter. We we um, really have lots of different um, opportunities to stay connected and to not just show you about our programs, but also as a part of our education and training component. Yeah, you guys are, are very well connected on the website, and you know I like getting the newsletter. Um, it's just very informative stuff uh, for people to to learn about. So I would definitely encourage them to to partake in that. No, um, and we'll give the the website out here in just a just a little bit. Do you have any um, words of wisdom for somebody who may have just gotten diagnosed with the disease at all? Well, the favorite thing that I like to say is that it takes a team, and we briefly discussed it earlier, but, you know, I I think um, coming as a a fairly new mother with a three-year-old and a one-year-old, I realize that it truly takes a village to raise a child. You know, that old statement is, if I didn't have all of the support of my entire village, then I don't know if I would be as good of a mother as I am. Um, I'm sure I would be an adequate mother, um, but because I have such great support, I, I know that I'm able to be a better mother. And I feel it's the same way when it comes to caring with um, a loved one that has a memory impairment. 
I think that you need an entire team. You need a good doctor, a good neurologist. You need the right medications. You need to have a, a social worker, supportive services, a support group. You need to have friends and outlets and a socialization for yourself. All of these things are vital parts of your team. And I feel that without them, sure, we're great caregivers, we're good caregivers, we're able to do the job, um, we're able to, to care for our loved ones, but if we have all of these other things in place, we're able to be so much better. And, exactly. and that's just what I like to tell my family. So I, I, hope, yeah. I hope that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, this is not the end stage, it's just another stage. You know, right. and there's lots of stages. I mean, you, you look at, you know, people so many times I think look at this disease as a death sentence. And, right. I, and I think part of that is that we are a fear-based society, and so that's typically how we raise funds. They, you know, scare the crap out of them and they'll get their checkbooks out. And, right. you know, I I personally would like to see an end to that and have have us become a hope-based society because I think a lot of people who have this diagnosis are going to be like my mom. They're going to live with it for 30 years, especially yes. with mm-hmm. the early diagnosis going on. And this is not something you can put in the closet and walk away from. You know, it's not going away here, folks. So we have to learn how to be compassionate and um, and make improvements for quality of life, not only for the person with the diagnosis, but those caring for them. Because you know what, it could be us tomorrow. We just don't know. Right, right, exactly. truly don't know. Can you tell me in your experience what was one of the biggest surprises or or maybe compliments that you received from either a person with dementia or a family caregiver, you know, on this road? What, What really kind of, you know, when you get one of those comments, it just goes, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. Can you share one and, of those and that's, with it's interesting that you ask that because people tell me all the time, how can you work in this field? Oh, what a depressing job that must be. And, oh, why would you have chosen that? And and they really, and this is just the general public or even friends my age, um, when they just don't realize how wonderful and rewarding our job is. And when family members come to you and they tell you things like, you saved my life. And I don't know what I would do without you. And um, I, I, I need you in order to, to be able to go on more. <laughs> when you know that they really are looking at not just our agency, not just the supportive services that we provide, not just the, the day program, when they really look at what I am doing, that to me is so rewarding. And I know that all of those other things are bonuses for them because they're receiving so much from, from us, from our organization. But when they personally come to me and say, you've saved my life, you have made such a difference, that to me is the most rewarding thing. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. I had a woman... Um, Contact me. I was out in, what the heck was I speaking, out in Fargo, and she emailed me afterwards, or no, she left me a voicemail, and she said, you know, I just have to tell you. She said, I am going to go back to school for my master's degree in gerontology. She's like, you have just inspired me because there's such a huge need out here. And it was just, I mean, it just warmed my heart to think, you know, my little words, you know, had an impact on somebody, you know, hopefully for the greater good. And it's just those little 
things that you know when you're when you're out there really trying to do the right thing um and really have your your heart centered at helping somebody else out and making a difference what comes back to you is just it's just tenfold you know the stories are are absolutely unbelievable so i would encourage people you know if they've thought about getting involved stop thinking about it you know pick up the phone walk out the door and go talk to somebody you know it doesn't have to be a big huge thing that you have to commit to you know maybe it's going to be a one time thing maybe it's going to be something every wednesday um there's lots of opportunities and and maybe what you want to do doesn't even exist make it exist it can happen when we when we work together Yes, well, and so that's I, why I want to thank you for all of your hard work. And it's amazing the the road that you have have crossed because of of your personal experience. And I just I have a passion for this advocacy and this work, and I think it's wonderful you coming as a as a family member to have taken all of this and, and created all of these different services. So I really thank you for your hard work as well. Oh well, thank you. It's it's always nice to hear, you know. Um, I don't think any of us get tired of a of a compliment, and and that's just such an easy thing to deliver um, to somebody who you know or love or work with. And um, again, just kind of another lesson for all of us. Um, that alone can make a huge difference to somebody. And yeah. so, don't forget um, to pass on that compliment. You know, just don't keep it to yourself. Don't uh, don't uh, don't keep it secret. You know, let let somebody know that they are doing a good job and that they do have importance in your life. And I think so many who are, you know, on this mission with dementia and Alzheimer's disease or whatever their passion is, um, you know, they're reaching out um to try to to try to help others. And, you know, every single tool, product and service that is out there um really wasn't created because of greed. It was created to help somebody. And the money just kind of supports that. And so we have to get back to, I think, the core purpose of what is our delivery system. And our delivery system here in the U.S. has always been one of help. And we've just kind of fallen off the track a little bit. And we need a little readjustment in terms of the funding process now and get back in line. And so... Um, organizations like the George G. Uh, Glenner Centers could could really use your help out there, folks. Um, go ahead and push that donate button if you if you have a chance there. So, Don, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, sharing your personal story, as well as informing us about um, you know the Glenner Alzheimer's Family Centers. You guys are doing some amazing amazing work now. If people want to get a hold of you, what is the best website and phone number for them to call? Great. Well, our website address is www.alzheimerhelp.org. But even if you just type in Glenner into your Google toolbar, uh, toolbar, um, the uh, the website will come in if Alzheimer help it is is complicated, um, but just t- typing in Glenner will will link you to everything that you need, and on the front page of our website it does have our toll free phone number and all of the links to like I said our Twitter Facebook uh, signing up for our newsletter our blog that kind of thing, 
so you can be very connected and it was it was really great to to speak with everyone. I appreciate your time and I hope that if we can be of help to you um or even that we encouraged you to to look for services similar to, similar to ours in your community. I I'm I'm very hopeful that 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 was something that can come out of today. Wonderful. And Glenner is spelled G L E N N E R. So there's two Ns in that just in case anybody is wondering on that. Well, thank you again, Don, for your time. I'd like to ask all of our listeners to help us spread the word about Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. And if you enjoyed the show today, if you wouldn't mind going to our front page. And on that, you can email this link to your friends. You can like us on Facebook. You can Twitter. Um, but the more we can get the word out there about the resources, um, the better off everyone will be. Um, our next show is scheduled for um, next Thursday, the 27th, and that will be at 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 Central and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. And that will be with Dr. Gordon Atherley. And he has um, a program called Family Caregivers Unite. And it will be really interesting to talk with him. He's just loaded with great information as well. So I hope you'll be able to join us for that. After that, on November 4th, I can't believe we'll be in November already. Where did this year go to? We are going to have author Carolyn Brent and um, Amina Fuller, who is actually running, I think, for uh, Senate out there in California. Um, Carolyn has written the book, Why Wait? And it's a baby boomer's guide for dealing uh, dealing with your aging parents. And then... Again, on November 11th, I'll be having Michelle Mason back on, and that show is entitled Ignite Your Care Culture, and it's going to be a follow-up to the Soul Purpose Program where we want to field people's ideas and thoughts um, regarding, you know, what, what do we need to change out there and how the heck do we implement that. Last, if you're memory impaired or if you're a caregiver or if you are a business that has uh, something unique to offer, I would love to hear from you. Please feel free to email me at Lori, L-O-R-I, at Alzheimer's, and that's A-L-Z-H-E-I-M-E-R-S, speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. I would love to talk with you and see if you might be appropriate for one of our shows coming up. Um, Again, this show is not about me doing it alone. It's about spreading the word. And, you know, we want to interview people worldwide because there's so many different cool things happening out there. Um, So, as always, I want to remind you to focus on the three simple things that your memory teaches you when you're dealing with someone with dementia. Are they safe? Are they happy? And are they pain-free? You can get your free memory chip plus lots of other good information on the Alzheimer's Speaks resource website, and that's just alzheimerspeaks.com. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed day as you think ahead to go ahead. We'll talk soon. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors, from fitness, your health and wellness journeys, How to Be All Over Strong and Beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. 
Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.